welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Uh, you know what? I'm, uh, I'm all riled up, and I'll tell you why. Okay. At a time, it's the Olympics right now. Okay. The Olympics are going on. All right. They have, they have started in, in Russia, in Sochi, Russia. Um, and at a, this is a time that should be happy for me, a celebration. Nations coming together oh, I to represent see. themselves. It's All a very, right. As a patriotic person, I understand and, and encourage other people to be patriotic about their nations. And so things like the Olympics or the World Cup, the only time I care about soccer, okay. like, like a lot of Americans, I only get involved, get inter- I only pay attention during the, every four years during the World Cup. Things like that really speak to something in me. Okay. Uh, you know, the, the sort of national pride that I have. And that I uh, respect in others, you know. Um, and this is the Winter Olympics. It's my favorite Olympics uh, of the of the two. You have two choices. If I have an opinion about the Olympics at all, uh-huh. it's that I would pref- that I prefer Winter Olympics to. Now, Summer why? Olympics. What do you like better about the Winter Olympics? Snow. Okay, but there's no particular sports that stick out to you. Um, I will say this. Don't get me wrong. Anytime I happen to, ca- I probably watch. I don't know. Let's see. Olympics are every four years, but or is it right? Yeah, but they're every like. So it's like every two years, right? But for an Olympics, yes. Exactly. Okay, all right. Although it's really like eighteen months. It's like a year and a half, and then now it'll be like two and a half years because they are summer and winter. Oh, okay. So it's only been like eighteen months, I think, since the London Olympics because they okay. were in August of twenty twelve. So now it'll be two and a half years before wherever we're going to be in 2016. Okay, well, I'm not great at math, so I'll just go ahead and say that I've seen probably about, I don't know, 18 minutes of the Olympics in the last 10 years. Okay. Um, aside from the opening ceremonies, which were delightful. Uh, but, uh, oh, my computer is, the volume is still on, but I'll, I'll go do, deal with that in a moment. Um, I thought maybe your computer was uh, correcting your math. <laughs> it's been 21 minutes. Fair enough. Quit being um, so obtuse. That's what, you, that's what your computer said. But anytime I, anytime I, thank you, that's a good word choice. Well done. Uh, anytime I happen to see something in the Olympics, I am always amazed at the display of, you know, physical ability. Yeah. Uh, but I think, uh, like, uh, ice skating and then skiing and snowboarding and just a person's ability to, because sure, yeah. I, I happened to catch a little bit of snowbo- snowboarding the other day and just doing like the, the half pipe thing and just in looking at it, it's like, how how do you train your body to be first off pure instinct at that point like Mm -hmm. there's no conscious choices being made you've trained your body to just to be able to respond to whatever it is it needs to respond to but then like just it it just astounds me so i do have a tremendous respect for people that can do these things i don't care but if i do care i have more respect for people that are on a slippery surface okay well that's going to bring me to something that i do care about all right which is hockey uh, I like hockey a lot. It, that's why the Winter Olympics are my favorite Olympics. Uh, and now I'm going to be treading into some some things that I, I actually get me pretty riled up, so I might not be entirely coherent here. But there's been some talk. While all this great stuff is going on, and we get to see uh, the best of our nation, um, y- you know, our U.S. NHL players uh, go over there and play in the Olympics as well as like people from my team, the St. Louis blues are represented on the U S team, the Canadian team, the Russian team, uh, the Swedish team and the Slovakian team. I'll, I'll have St. Louis blues on them. So it's a very exciting time for me. 
And yet while this is going on, we're getting these rumblings from certain people about um, the NHL not wanting to take this two and a half week break every four years and maybe four years from now in South Korea not sending NHL players to the Olympics, not allowing them to go play. Now, uh, you won't you won't be surprised who these complaints are coming from. They're not coming from the players. They're certainly not coming from the fans. They're coming from owners. Yeah, that. Yeah, I would have predicted because that. That's two and a half weeks where they're not getting ticket sales. They're not getting concessions. They're not getting the media rights. Uh, you know, and commercial. Now it all gets made up. That's the thing. They take a break. They still play eighty-two games. They're still going to get all that. But they're still grumbling that they basically have to take a two two and a half week two and a half week break from raking in tons of dough, and it, which they will make up later. And then, yes. and, and on top of that, people will be more excited to see it because, and, yeah, right. And people, more people watch the Olympics than watch NHL games. I would guess. I don't know. In the U.S., hockey is sort of the fourth sport in the U.S. There's football, baseball, basketball, and then there's hockey. And this is the best advertisement for the NHL's product, and it's free. They don't have to pay anything to yeah. do it, and they still get their money back, but they're just such babies about it. And the point is not even about the money, though. It's that this thing, the Olympics, the national pride that I'm talking about, is more important. Mm-hmm. It's more important than, than the NHL. I'm a huge NHL fan, but... An Olympic gold medal is something you play for every four years, and you win it for your country. The Stanley Cup, it's the best trophy in sport in, in, in sports in America, in North America. I totally feel that way, but it's something you play for every year, and you win it for your employer. And you mm-hmm. win it for yourselves, too, in both cases. But, you know, the people – I just mentioned people from all over the world playing for this, my St. Louis Blues. They're not – very few of them, almost none of them are native Missourians. Maybe none of them at all. Like, they <laughs> right. don't have that. I just want to tell Ed Snyder of the Philadelphia Flyers that he needs to shut up because Olympic gold is more important than what he's talking about. But not to him. Because to him, it's just about money. He doesn't give a fuck about the Flyers or about hockey or about the fans. He cares about money. And His eyes lit up money. when you said the word gold. <laughs> Probably. And it reminded me, I'm, this is how I'm getting to movies. Okay. It reminded me of a similar feeling I have, or have had very recently, um, when there were talks about Harvey Weinstein cutting up Snowpiercer, the Bong Joon-ho, uh, his, his first um, English language film, and that it was mm-hmm. going to be like, like Harvey Weinstein has done with a billion Asian movies, acquiring them and then not letting us see them in their original form. He's done it for like decades now. And it pisses me off because... The people behind the movies need to understand they, the movies belong to all of us. I know they financially belong to that person, but they're more important than money. But because Harvey Weinstein is the fucking gatekeeper and people like him, the fact that he only cares about the money part of it. I would venture to say people don't like him. I think they're scared of him. <laughs> okay, but I'm saying – no, I'm saying people like him. People like oh, him. I yeah. see. <laughs> oh, for uh, a minute, I'm like – No, no. You, we're hearing different rumors. Um, pe- people like Harvey Weinstein who hold – they're the gatekeepers mm-hmm. and – to them, because all they care about is the money, it chokes off our ability to enjoy the art for the things that are more important to us than money. And these fuckers, like the studio heads and like these fucking uh, uh, NHL team owners and, and stuff, they 
are unable to see how anything has worth beyond the financial. It just really pisses me off. I, I hope to God that the NHL gets to play in uh, in in South Korea. Because here's the thing: I'm if, sure they will. I don't. I, it's. Do you really think the owners are going to like? They really don't shoot want themselves. It. Like, and but there's but P- the players, there's such a thing as bad PR. I mean, they would they would get such bad publicity as a result of but that. The, if they can do a lockout every eight years and people want the bad PR lasts as long as the lockout lasts. As soon as it's over, people go back. That's what they've learned. The lesson they've learned from the NHL lockouts is they can piss off the fans for as long as they want. Once they turn the, the lights back on and have the product back on the ice, they all come back. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter to them. Do, is but it all, is it all the owners? Uh, no, it's not all the owners. It's a few of them. Obviously enough owners are behind this because the thing is, um, the current contract between the NHL and the NHL Players Association, um, the previous contract, that it, it was in the contract that they play uh, in the Olympics. It's not now. with the So that's why, come four years from now in South Korea, they they can say, no, we're not letting our yeah. players, we're not doing a two-week, two-and-a-half-week break, we're not letting them go. Um, and... But, what uh, now you got me maybe you maybe, maybe lose track of, my, of your my, rage uh, yeah uh but here's here's the only thing that might happen I, i'm not the first person to bring up this idea the only thing that might change it is uh in, in four years in south korea if the nhl doesn't let people let um people play um other teams eastern european teams and European teams have their own, even though they have players here, they have their own professional hockey leagues. Mm -hmm. But most of the talent in the U S and Canada is in the NHL. And so what might happen is four years from now, NHL says, no, you can't go USA and Canada go to South Korea and get fucking creamed (laughs) because you've got KHL players and all these other players, uh, against basically our juniors team. Uh, and maybe that will be enough of a, an outcry um, to say, okay, in in twenty, uh, I can't do the math in twenty twenty or whatever. No, uh, no, it'll be twenty twenty two. What year is it now? Twenty fourteen. So twenty eighteen, twenty twenty two. So in twenty twenty two, they say, okay, you can go back to having uh, having the NHLers. But anyway, it just what I wanted to get at is not just ranting as a hockey fan, but the idea that uh, it's a losing game sometimes emotionally to be a fan of something that other people are making money off of because they can cut it off from you at any time. If it's not making money, it's like your favorite show getting canceled. I was going to say, uh, so recently, uh, the nature of my job is that I often need things to listen to as listen as, as I've, uh, and listeners have been very quick to say, Hey, you should listen to this or, or, or watch this or something like that. Uh, and somebody very nicely on YouTube had taken, uh, uh, a number of the, uh, the inside looks from the Seinfeld DVDs and uh-huh. edited them all together into one thing. And it's like, oh, oh that's wonderful. Yeah. So I just clicked that on, even though I knew a lot of it. And Seinfeld is such a fascinating case study when it comes, and admittedly that was 20 years ago, but like that was a show that didn't do very well. And it doesn't, it didn't matter how much Larry David believed in the show. It didn't matter how much Jerry Seinfeld believed in the show. Brandon Tartikoff believed in the show. And, uh, and I really wanted to remember the names of other, uh, Warren Littlefield, I think is his name. Okay. Um, a, a number of like noted NBC executives 
took interest in the show and believed in it. And then I remember uh, there was a story in which uh, uh, Michael Richards came in to audition for Kramer uh-huh. and was and just did all this crazy stuff. And in the room was not merely Jerry and Larry and, and other people, but also some executives. And so and then when he leaves, one of the executives says, like, well, if you want funny. And it's like, exactly. The executive is talking about what's funny. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and, and the show didn't do well until, like, its third season. That would never happen now. Yeah. And then, like... I mean, Cheaters is another example that's also NBC that didn't do yeah. well until, I think, the by the end of its second season, it started getting a foothold. And admittedly, I think there is more television now than there was before. But at the same time, you go back and watch, you know, certain movies. Uh, I, I'm fascinated by uh, Zanuck and Brown, uh, who worked together. And they championed Jaws when it was going over budget, when it was taking too long. They were the ones defending this young, unproven director. You get somebody like George Sha- George Schaefer, who's uh, uh, I don't remember like he was very high up in RKO. He might have been the, the man in charge, but either way, like he believed in Orson Welles and with Citizen of- Kane. Like it's it's so important to have like from the management, from the executives, people who even if like even if they don't always believe in the product, they believe in the people. Like that's the thing is the um, the Chinese restaurant mm-hmm. episode of Seinfeld. Uh, uh, rather famously in in Seinfeld lore, the executives did not get it. They're like, I don't understand it. I don't get it. But you know what? Go ahead. Now, um, like that's so much faith. What this speaks to, and again, this is, and we can wrap up after this, but with both, you know, uh, the money people in, in studios and networks and with these NHL owners, uh, they're not, seeing the long road they're not seeing like oh hey if we put enough money into a movie that's really good mm-hmm. it will likely find an audience down the road yeah you know but that doesn't it that 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 doesn't they, they care about their bottom line immediately yeah and that's the same thing like i said with his nhl owners they're not in the long run it's not really going to cost them any money and maybe yeah, one of your players gets injured me. that's the that's the that's the only real threat is that you send a star player over to Russia and he gets injured and then that affects you. That is a threat. It's understandable. But what we're talking about, it's great exposure for the league and for the sport. And in the long run, it can only really help. Yeah. And they, but they can't see that because they're, uh, you know, myopic about uh, money. All right. That's, I hope I didn't make that too much just about hockey, uh, but it's really been burning my ass this week. Uh, and I wanted to talk about it. So, uh, what I, the other one, the other thing I want to talk about to you listeners is tweakedaudio.com, which is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful col- colors. And uh, you can get that <laughs> at tweakedaudio.com slash pretension at one third off, and you don't have to pay any shipping charges. So, let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. This is an episode we... Did we not do this last I year? I don't think we did it last year. I don't year. know if we had something else come up um, that didn't allow us to do it, but it was an episode that Tyler came up with two years ago that I really liked because I I really like that we... I talked about last week that we are sort of... That the, the, the shifts in quality in the release calendar year, mm-hmm. year yeah. long are a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, and so uh, as much as it feels like I'm towing a line by saying yes there are no uh 
you know, really good movies in the first couple months of the year. Uh, it's true at this point. That's not when they release most of their really good movies. So, but that's the thing. Get, like, if you give it enough time, here's something that I've become fascinated by. Um, you know, there are some like blockbusters. This doesn't necessarily happen every year, but there are some blockbusters that are released in December now. Mm-hmm. You know, to take advantage of Christmas and people being off and stuff like that. Between that and the fact that some big blockbusters like the first Hunger Games and now um, the new Captain America are being released earlier and earlier in the spring. And now you really – you don't have the gap that you did before. It's it's still like a solid two-month gap. But, I'm not but give it about, enough time and I think I think it will – Blockbusters are a different thing than what I'm talking about, which is the more – Oh, just good movies. Good movies, yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm not saying that Captain America, the Winter Soldier, won't be good. Um, I'm just saying that I won't see it. <laughs> I don't know why I'm being a dick. Anyway. That's all right. I'll take that screening off your hands. Uh, okay. Um, but uh, we've really – it's sort of built a tradition over the seven years we've been doing this show. And by the way, we are coming up in, I think, in three weeks, if I do the math right, yep. on our seven-year anniversary. Um We've really built this idea that between the end of the year and the Oscars, you and I, we don't just do like some of the public publications like here's our top ten list the last week of December. We spend two full months. One can make the argument we really come alive. <laughs> like we make the rest of the year worthwhile in that last in, – in the first two months of the year. Yeah. Well, it could be, because there are so many good movies that come out every year and it feels – unfair to cram all the discussion to them in the the last week of december and the first week of january yeah we like to spread out and take our time to really get into them and so we make the first two year two months of the year about the the previous year you know like we do a a a top 10 list on the website every friday and we talk about these things on the podcast and so next week we're going to be doing our uh me and tyler are going to be tyler and i are going to be doing our top 10s of 2013 but two years ago, Tyler came up with this idea to do a podcast, to do an episode um, where we talk about the stuff that's going to be that sort of it. We see so many movies. This stuff is not even in honorable mentions. Right. Um, but it things that stood out to us as being noteworthy that we are sort of maybe bummed that we're not going to get to talk about. And maybe things yeah. that not a lot of people are are talking about at all. Yeah. Uh, Tyler calls it falling between the cracks. Yeah. And uh I initially took that to mean just our, like, BP's cracks falling between that. But really, just in general, we want to talk about movies that maybe didn't get enough uh, exposure. Now, this isn't necessarily the most underrated. Right. Because we'll yeah. talk about our, you know, we're not doing a list, but we'll do one each next week of most underrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, most underrated movie, I guess, outside of our honorable mentions. <laughs> we do Because last year I had... Like, if I was being honest, Cloud Atlas was the most underrated movie of the year, but uh, it was also in my top ten. So mm. I picked – I can't remember what I picked, but I picked something outside of my yeah. uh, mentions to, to champion. And that's what I'll be doing this year, too. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, so do you want me to go first? Uh, yeah. I mean, this doesn't have – like I said, it's not a list. I mean, you and I have sort of narrowed it down to about five each. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we're going to just uh, – bounce around and talk about some stuff that we hope you know inspires you to go check it out yeah i'm pretty sure looking at my at my list here i'm pretty sure all of these are now on dvd and blu-ray one of them might not be but it might still be uh uh, on demand actually so uh i'll go with the first one unfortunately i do not remember the name of the director i feel bad about that uh the film is called europa report okay uh what do you know about this film david 
I know that it's a in the found footage style, mm-hmm. and it is a sci-fi slash horror film. Uh, uh, not really much horror, to be honest okay. with you. Which is which is fine. Uh, it's it's kind of one could say hard sci-fi. The director's name is Sebastian Cordero. Oh, nice. I like that name, Sebastian. Um, but uh, but yeah. So Europa Report. It's a film that when I first saw it, I went to a screening. Uh, gosh, I don't even remember. A long time ago, and I remember there was like it was one of those things where there were like three months in between when I saw it and when it was released. Yeah, you you had seen it already when there was a panel for it at Comic Con. Yeah, so you saw it before mid July, I guess. Yeah, I saw it. I saw it uh, quite a while back, and um, and when I first saw it, it didn't. It's it was a little. It left me a little cold, and I felt like well, I don't really know who these people are. I don't really care much about them, and and it's like then I realized it's science fiction tends to be a little emotionally cold but within that it stayed with me a lot of the a lot of the characters stayed with me a lot of these scenes stuck with me and it is done in a found footage type of way where uh this shuttle uh well nasa has discovered life on i think one of on europa which i think is like one of the moons of say jupiter uh, let's say jupiter why not does jupiter have moons probably with that much mass, you'd think it would attract satellites, right? Is that how it works? I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I haven't taken a science class in a long time. Yeah. Uh, I took what is it? Like a pl- like applied science, which is uh-huh. uh, in high school, which is just like it's like, hey, here's some stuff that you might use in your daily life. Uh, that never happened, by the way. But um, or maybe it did, and the and the C that I got in the class did not help me to identify science happening in my daily life. Um, but yeah, and so uh, so life is detected, or at least like just microorganisms are detected on this moon. So a manned shuttle is sent to find out more about it, and along the way uh, they encounter all kinds of trouble. And it's shot in a found footage type of way where the various security cameras and stuff on the shuttle, they just cut that together, uh, so that we get the full idea of, of what this voyage was and and that sort of thing. Uh, there's a lot of genuine suspense in there. Uh, really good performances. The most notable performer is, uh, Charlotte Copley, Mm. who is, uh, who's very good and, and his character has a nice, uh, nice story going there. Um, but more than anything, all right, so there is a, uh, a conservative commentator named Bill Whittle that I like a great deal, uh, and one of the th- and but before he was a commentator, he was a pilot, and he actually still does do some piloting and such. Um, and so I don't really care much about space exploration or anything like that, but he does. What you don't? Not really. Like not to the extent that that some people do. Like they, there are people that are just fascinated at even just the mechanics of it. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh well, I'm mystified by the mechanics of it, so that's where my interest ends. Um, but uh, but one of the things that he 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 did a like a, a little video sometime in the last year in which he talked about the nature of discovery and just how exciting it is and that it's dangerous. The nature of discovery is dangerous, whether it be the fir- you know, when they were designing an airplane or a car or any number of things like people died or got hurt as they worked towards this thing. Uh, but that humanity always benefits as a result, you know, and, uh, it, the, the, 
I don't remember the really the the political point of the video. I think it had to do with the idea of like you know if we try to minimize all risk in life, then eventually we will we will wind up with none of the things that is worth risking your life for. Um, but uh, th- I thought of that uh, when I saw this film because, and the film does seem to explore that theme. That really, what do these characters, you know? What do they personally stand to gain from risking their lives? And not all of them make it. What do they stand to gain? And the answer is personally nothing. But it is that idea of small step for man, giant leap for mankind. And it's like the knowledge, the human knowledge that there are that there there's life on other planets. And what does that mean for us? Like once you have that knowledge, you can't you know you can't unhave it. You can't unlearn it. You can't go back. And so. Uh, so that the film, that idea I find to be actually quite invigorating. And so, uh, so that more than anything, um, is why the film really stuck with me and just, it is technically really well done. And when you actually, uh, I won't go into how it was shot, but I would venture to say that, uh, it deserved, a, a, an Oscar nomination for best editing. So, I, but it's, it's worth watching. It's a good movie. I, I, do, I have a screener of it. I look forward to watching it. And I believe it is also on Netflix. Watch instant. Okay. So, uh, the first one I was going to talk about, I realized, I realized after I said it, that, uh, we talk, I can't remember when, but I talked about this movie very recently. So I'm not going to go into any, uh, great deal of time about it, but, uh, it's the documentary Tim's Vermeer that's directed by Teller oh. of Penn and Teller. Oh, we talked about it with, uh, Graham when he was on. That's right. Okay. Um, it's fantastic, and people should see it. So I'll, I'll move on to a different one instead, and I will talk about Joe Swanberg's Drinking Buddies, which maybe I'm cheating here because, you know, I, I never know. Like, uh, maybe I, I don't always have a handle on what other people have seen or what is being talked about because I think, as we, you and I talked about, we did an episode with Amy about um, – the echo chamber mm-hmm. and the idea that sometimes a movie that I think is on everyone's lips, I realize, Oh yeah, most people, then I'll see a list of like the best movies of the year. You didn't, you never heard of, or you yeah. didn't see. And I'm like, hey, everybody saw that. Oh wait, no, just everybody <laughs> I follow on Twitter saw it. <laughs> uh, so I know drinking buddies did get a lot of press, at least among the people I follow on Twitter yeah. uh, during this year. But I, I went into it maybe a little bit, skeptical um because it seemed like i don't know how to say this uh because i hate the i hate the term like white people problems or or first world problems that people talk about you yes know? i do hate that I, I hate that term too, i understand it, what people are saying but, yeah and it, but it's but like they're also was, communicating something that they are not trying to yeah uh and so i, I don't want to say that but uh it's sort of I, I thought that it was going to be kind of basically I thought it was going to be what short term 12 ended up being to me, which is a bunch of bullshit um, that, you know, dressed up as something uh, uh, weighty. But um, actually, Drinking Buddies is an incredibly uh, effective movie that I, 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 I think I've said this. I can't remember if I said it on the podcast before. But it was a movie that was so emotionally draining to me that I don't think I could watch it again anytime soon. Uh, and I did not see that coming. I did mm-hmm. not think that was the kind of movie that I was getting into. This, um, you know, what what is essentially a sort of slight romantic dramedy. And it 
is that, but it's not slight at all because it's uh, so specific about its characters and about what they uh, what they go through. And uh, there's so much for a movie that is improvised. I think I have a lot of trepidation, as I've talked about on the show before, yeah. about heavily improvised movies. Uh, and this one does something that you don't often see in improvisation. I think one of the risks of making a movie overly improvised is that it, the subtext ends up becoming text becomes overly verbalized. Cause that's how people improvise is by saying things, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I think that's one of the benefits of writing a script is you can overdrafts, you know, pare it down to what needs to be said and allow your actors to bring things to the in between. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, miracle of miracles, I guess drinking buddies, uh, there's so much that goes on that is unsaid in that movie uh, that is that speaks volumes and is heartbreaking and infuriating at times. And you just like, you know, I I, I would love to um, I'd love to talk about the, uh, you know, if we had done, a, you know, a, a discussion about it when it came out, I would love to have a woman's point of view on Drinking Buddies because uh, I feel like it could be. I feel like the movie could be really a completely different movie to almost anyone, uh, depending on, you know, there are four sort of main characters. Um, two, really. There's the guy from New Girl, whose name I always forget, and Olivia Wilde. And then there's uh, Anna, uh, Anna Kendrick and uh, Ron Livingston, but he's actually not in it that much after a while. I don't know if that's a spoiler or not. But, um, but you could identify with them in different in different ways and to different levels. Uh, but you also love and hate each character differently at different times. You know, the perspective sort of shifts and you're seeing, you're seeing Olivia Wilde from Jake Johnson's point of view for uh, a long time and you're beguiled and a little bit frustrated by her. And then something will turn and suddenly you're seeing, did I get his name right? Is it Jake Johnson? Yeah. Jake Johnson from Olivia Wilde's point of view, and you're almost you feel sorry for him or you feel annoyed by him. It's it's an amazingly subtle movie uh, for something that could have been a sort of histrionic exercise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard great things about it, and uh, I'm trying to think if I'm a fan of Joe Swanberg. I think I am. I haven't seen a lot of his movies, unfortunately, but um, but yeah, I've heard nothing but good things about it, and uh, and I'm and. I will say that that one is also available on Netflix, yeah, uh, Watch Instant. So if people want to seek these out, then uh, then they can do so. And also, have we done an episode? Man, it feels like we've been doing all these, like we do so many special episodes this time of year. Mm-hmm. We haven't just gotten back to doing a regular episode, just where you pick a topic. Uh, yeah, I know. I'd love to do an episode on um, drinking, like movies about drinking. Did we do that? Did we do that? I feel like we might have. But... Um, I don't know. I think we might have. It would, seems like the kind of thing we would have done already. I would love to have a number of different, uh, maybe a guest on for that. And I would love to, I'll bet some people, and I wouldn't blame them for this, look at some of the characters in Drinking Buddies and could accuse it of being a movie about alcoholism because they drink constantly. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, uh, it's also a movie where, uh, or, you know, it's maybe a Midwestern culture in which I was raised, in which, you know, beer is consumed maybe a little more regularly 
than than some other people, you know, maybe West Coast people. I don't want to like throw generalizations around, but I don't think it's as much of a or it's not the same kind of drinking culture out here as it is in a place like St. Louis or Chicago where this movie takes place. Well, out here, everyone's just drinking champagne in their tuxedos. Yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So um, <laughs> that that's not a stereotype of anything, right? <laughs> I don't know what that is. Um, okay, so uh, the next one on my, on my list, this is one that people know about, but they it got kind of eclipsed by a movie that I unfortunately didn't see. Um, so uh, I saw The Bling Ring. I did not see Spring Breakers. Everybody said that they, the movies are, are kind of similar in some ways, and people are much more inclined to talk about Spring Breakers, which I've not seen. Uh, you saw Spring Breakers, right? Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. And I, and I saw The Bling Ring. Okay. I really, way more than I expected to, responded to The Bling Ring, uh, making... I, I, I think I was already officially a fan, but uh, I, I don't think there's ever been a Sofia Coppola movie I didn't like. Uh People don't necessarily like Marie Antoinette. I liked that. People didn't really like Somewhere. Somewhere I loved that. And I really liked uh, The Bling Ring specifically because, first off, it has a little bit more energy uh, than her previous movies. So she's doing something a little a little bit different as far as uh, editing. I don't know that I entirely agree that the movie has more energy. The characters, I think, have more energy. But I don't know that her approach does. I, I don't mean, know that her approach seems that different to me than it, it seems like... I guess I guess when when they're like going through uh, in certain scenes where they, when they're going through the house uh, and there's like some quick cutting and stuff. I guess it's yeah, not right, that yeah. it's not that differently than that different than one of the montages in like Lost in Translation. Right. So I guess she's done it kind of before. Um, but I do think that in this instance, um, or maybe I guess. Sorry, hang on. I'm thinking of this as I'm saying it. Okay. Yeah, uh, she does what what she often does, which is. She locks into the emotional state of her characters. Now, of course, with Lost in Translation, you have two characters who feel like they're just sort of drifting. Uh, with Marie Antoinette, you have uh, a character who is kind of lost and confused, but then eventually just sort of falls into a life of luxury. And with somewhere, you have a character that is just constantly sedated. So, of course, these are and and Virgin Suicides, I'd say, is kind of the same way. There's a certainly a surreal uh, kind of a surrealism there. But also, uh, well, I mean, Divergent Suicides is a movie that is a flashback. Yeah, and so it has that sort of dreamy. Yeah, the the only word I can think it. of is like almost a, like lax laxadaisical, lackadaisical, lackadaisical. Yeah, and so um, whereas this one, the characters, while they are lazy and self possessed, there is an energy to them, probably brought on dr- uh, by drugs and such. And so I feel like the film. Just maybe even in its emotional tone, it latches onto that. But also, and again, I'm gonna. Dis- I, I think I just felt that uh, this is one of those things that I don't think we would ever see. I, I not that I hated this movie. I don't think we'll ever see eye to eye on it because it's mm-hmm. almost like we saw different movies. I feel like because my point of view is that um, she doesn't latch onto the characters enough. In fact, she, I, I think, her detached approach works for about half the movie, and then it works against her where uh as things are as the tension is ratcheting up for these characters and mm-hmm. the the walls are closing in mm-hmm. there's no sense of that in the presentation to me at least uh and it, it's it's almost like a security cam footage <laughs> at some point it's just too distant i and i and i i guess i sort of like a certain degree of distance especially when we're dealing with characters who are 
while they have that's the thing i keep saying emotion but that's not right i think energy level they they have a, a relatively high energy level but i think they are emotionally distant from things it's how they are able to talk themselves into believing that in a way they know the celebrities that they're robbing and they don't actually believe that but the way they talk about oh i'm going over to paris's mm -hmm. it's like what you mean is yeah. you're breaking into paris hilton's house yeah. like that's not the same i like the it's, it's in the trailer when she's like uh you talk to the victims what did Lindsay say <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it's like and that i think is one of from a uh, sorry i'll finish my my, my okay. previous point which is um i think there i think there has to be a certain disengagement f on the part of the characters themselves to keep doing what they are doing um i think this is the first time that she's telling the story of criminals you know but of course certain types of criminals people who think they're kind of entitled to what it is they're doing and so i feel like they have to be a certain degree of disengagement i think the film lacks uh latches onto that in a way that i that tells the the story of these characters way better than one trying to delve into their psyche ever could. But thematically what I really like, cause there are people that say like, well, it's not about anything. It's like, it's about plenty. Yeah. It's certainly about certain aspects of celebrity culture. Like the same thing that causes these, the same thing that I will say emotionally, that emotionally enables these characters to feel like they are entitled to just take whatever they want from uh, these celebrities. It's the same culture that enables them to do it at all, which is, hey, you're able to follow this person's every movement. To, and so they actually know when their house is empty. And so it's it's all of a piece where we, there's just like mm -hmm. no sense of privacy with certain people. You know, and uh, go ahead. Sorry. And so it's. I don't know. It's very condemning of celebrity culture. And I do feel uh, sorry, not so not the celebrity part of it, but the, the sort of the tabloid culture, uh, especially in the modern age where between Google maps and TMZ and all these things like you, you can kind of, you can find out more about anybody now than you ever could in the past. Um, yeah. And there's a, there's a, uh, I, I think, one of the houses they break into is Orlando Bloom's. Mm -hmm. And I think he's in there for a reason. Not, I don't think it's just that he's the only male celebrity whose house they break into. Right. But he's the only one you go like, oh, well, that's an actual like actor. That's an actual talented, famous person. As yeah. opposed to, I mean, Lindsay Lohan, when she was when she was younger, she was in The Parent Trap and in Mean Girls. Mm -hmm. uh, she was fantastic. Uh, and it is sort of I liked her. In her I liked story. her in Prairie Home Companion. Yeah. Uh, her story is a little bit tragic because that's not what she's famous for. She's not famous for her acting talents, yeah. which she clearly possessed, which is upsetting. But the other people they break into are Paris Hilton and the woman whose name I always forget uh, from, I think she's from The Hills or maybe whatever. What was the show before The Hills? That, uh -huh. I think that's what she's from. Yeah. Audrina Patridge. Does that sound right? Sure. Okay. I could be wrong. Um, but I think to compare, there, there's movies... Um, uh, th there's this theme of sort of the American dream that has been explored a lot in 2013 mm -hmm. where I think the movie, the difference between a movie like the bling ring and say Wolf of Wall Street or pain and gain is that as, as wrongheaded as the, as the lead characters in Wolf of Wall Street and pain and gain are, they at least understand enough about what the American dream is and how the society works that they know to be strivers Mm -hmm. The thing about the characters in the bling ring is they're not strivers because they they don't 
see any difference because maybe there isn't any difference between them and the people who are famous right because they didn't have they think you used the word entitled before to them there's no reason they shouldn't be yeah as rich and have as many possessions and be as famous as these other people they have no uh sense of competition or ambition about it they just expect it and it's such an interesting thing because um you know i don't i don't necessarily like to uh incorporate true facts mm-hmm. into As my discussion of a film false facts yeah, indeed sorry the true story and facts from that story right. uh into my discussion of a known film knowns. oh no let's not <laughs> head down that path um but uh <laughs> damn it <laughs> so um but it is interesting uh so they stole a bunch of stuff from paris hilton's house including a bunch of jewelry Paris Hilton has a lot of jewelry. Mm-hmm. In many ways, she's going to be fine. <laughs> but some of the jewelry they stole belonged to her grandmother and stuff that is not actually replaceable. Mm-hmm. And it's a very strange thing because in that moment you realize, oh, I, I, there's pro- I probably would I, – I have – I venture to say nothing in common with Paris Hilton. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, but she does actually have an emotional attachment to things. Right. Um, but there is, I think, also a certain dehumanizing element to the tabloid culture, which is certainly these people do not deserve privacy, even if it's somebody who's kind of a sort of a, for lack of a better term, kind of a fame whore as mm-hmm. certain as certain celebrities are. Um, but it's like they're not entitled. It's like, well, they're not entitled to privacy and thus they're not even entitled to feel certain things or they don't get to consider something as sentimentally valuable and that kind of thing. And so just like that idea, like you said, that idea never crosses these kids minds. This person is very rich. So, and me taking these things is not going to make them less rich. So I'm just going to take it. And you know, who gives a shit that combined with like a a decidedly Los Angeles life, uh, uh, philosophy with like, the character, uh, Leslie Mann's character, like who, who leads her children in like the secret. And yeah, she homeschools them. But yeah. She like her source material, like her textbook is the secret. Yeah. And I don't know. Uh, and you know what? Non Los Angeles people might not know what the secret is at all. I know about it because when I worked at Blockbuster, it, it was a book that had just become a DVD. I think they know. Okay. You never know. I threw it out to someone and they didn't know. Um, but, uh, so it was a book that had just become a DVD and it's basically, it's like, you might've heard someone say like vision board. It's basically just like envision what you want. And it's the power of positive thinking, throw it out to the universe, be a good person, want it bad enough and you'll get it. Um, maybe I'm summing up a little too much, but it's essentially that sum up away. I don't care. Yeah. So like, <laughs> that can offend me. So, um, yeah, when I worked at blockbuster, uh, right when it came out on DVD, I had so many people come in and say, do you have the secret on DVD? I'm going to say, I don't know, 25 people in the course of a week or two. It was, it was crazy. Cause like, I've never even, I don't know what this is at all. Oprah kind of championed it a little bit. Yeah, so I think that's why I think, yeah, maybe, maybe the average person, knows. but like here people really took it seriously as like a life philosophy. And it's basically an emphasis on what do you want? Get what you want. You deserve it. The universe kind of owes it to you if you want it bad enough. And so just that's one. I guess that's why I like the movie. There are people that really hate it. And I think they are 
you can hate it. That's fine. But when they say the movie's not about anything, I cannot disagree strongly enough. It is about a very specific mindset and a very specific culture. Um, and you and I have done a lot of passing judgment on the characters, which is our prerogative. Oh, having sure. seen the movie, but the movie doesn't. And I like. No. It. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Okay. Um, we can't spend that long on every movie. But that, yeah. That's sorry. One, that's one we happen to have both seen. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that might be the only overlap. Um, I think there's one more coming uh, on yours. But I want to talk about, I don't think you saw this. I think you should. Um, a movie uh, directed by Lee Daniels. It's okay. Lee Daniels, Lee Daniels, the butler. Yeah. Um, uh, and I was kind of, it was like hanging out in my honorable mention area for a while. Um, and I was kind of bummed when I, as much as like, this happens when we're making our list at the end of the year, when I start to catch up on stuff and I start to see some stuff that I'm like, oh, wait, I can't, I can't wait to put that in my top 10 around my honorable mentions. But then I have to sort of mourn for the things that don't get. Absolutely. And that's why we do this episode, I think. So we get to yeah. talk about this stuff. Uh, and Lee Daniels, the Butler is a really, really fascinating movie. Um, it does what uh, apparently I'm going to use every opportunity I can to talk shit about short term 12. But um it's a movie that uh, uses melodrama the way that melodrama is supposed to be. Used. How else are you going to talk about it as the most overrated movie of 2013 next week if you talk about it this week? <laughs> it's not. I have something else for most overrated. Wow, that's really something. Um, because here's the thing. As much as I talk shit about Short Term 12, I didn't actually hate it the way yeah. I hated, say, oh, the way, way back, which is also not my most <laughs> overrated movie. Um, but uh, there's just a lot I didn't like. But... Lee Daniels, the butler, um, does melodrama right because it embraces how melodramatic it is and how uh, theatrical it is, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, with its, you know, trotting out recognizably huge names to play uh, to play famous characters with lots of makeup. You know, it's it's all like it's like a community theater play sometimes. And it is larger than life the way a play is. And that's something Lee Daniels does that I think can be really divisive to people is that he makes movies that are uh larger than life in a way that i think uh sometimes clashes with the way we're used to seeing movies it's something like i remember learning in in drama classes like in in high school and in college that uh it seems counterintuitive but people i think subconsciously expect more realism from movies than they do from plays oh no question um and yeah, again, you're actually seeing the people, so you'd think it would be the other way, the other way around. But that sort of stage and proscenium um, gives you a lot of leeway. Yeah. And Lee Daniels makes movies as if they're under a proscenium. And uh, it, again, it can be divisive. Uh, so if you're going to see Lee Daniels, the butler, to to see a an intimate character study, yeah, that's not what you're getting uh what you're getting is essentially uh a really unlikely story of a forrest gump type character who's present for all these other things that happened uh, over the course of the american civil rights movement yeah. and um a lot of political movements involving uh black americans uh, not only is he next to all these presidents but uh you know one of the complaints against the movie that i've heard um are actually one um uh, a internet friend of ours, um, the guy from the Silver Screen Snobs podcast in Australia. Uh, oh yes, uh, which is a really good podcast. People should check it out. Um, he uh, he pointed out that how 
how crazy it is that like uh not only does uh Forrest Whitaker's character not only is he present for all these things, but then his son ends up being like a Black Panther who then is like in Martin Luther King's inner circle, who like starts to like first he's a civil rights movie, he gets into Martin Luther King's inner circle, then he becomes a Black Panther, then he's involved in the apartheid movement. Like he's he's there for everything. It's kind of, it is ridiculous if you're taking it literally, but that's not the point. Uh, what he's trying to do, and this is the point I really want to make. Um. To compare movies. I did this when we talked about The Bling Ring, comparing it to other movies. There's another movie that came out this year called 42, um, directed by... No, it's a big... It's a name. Brian Helgeland, maybe, made that? Really? I want to say that's right. Um, anyway. That is not the name I expected you to say. Uh, who did you think directed 42? I don't know. I wasn't... I Frankly, I was... I don't know. Like F. Gary Gray or something? <laughs> okay. Uh 42 is also, yeah, Brian Hugland, um, the story of uh, a piece of the civil rights movement. But what 42 does that you could, I think you could lambast it for doing, I kind of would, I didn't like the movie very much, is it's not actually telling the story of Jackie Robinson. It's telling the story of Jackie Robinson's effect on white people. Ah. Uh, it is very much from the white point of view. Yeah. And, uh, the Butler is really fascinating in that at at every turn we're seeing 20th century American history as we've come to know it in our, you know, maybe uh, white biased textbooks or, or history classes, you know, uh, and we're seeing it from a thoroughly black perspective. Uh, and it's, it's like seeing it with new eyes mm-hmm. uh, and it's, that 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 was what really fascinated me about it is just uh how how much the movie was trying to uh capture the real black experience in America and it made me reflect um on how few movies actually do that even yeah. even sort of um i guess quote unquote black movies um I didn't see uh, the best man holiday. You saw think like a man last year. Yeah. Um, and a lot of Tyler Perry's movies. I think that Tyler Perry makes bad movies, but that's not what I was going to say. I, I think that Tyler Perry does represent a certain uh, African American point of view that makes his movies a little bit difficult for um, us to understand sometimes. Yeah. But I still think they're bad. Uh, like there's a certain point where I'm able to say like, um, that's interesting and maybe I'm not getting it, but there's also a certain point in which I'm able to say, I've seen enough movies to know that's a bad movie. Um, but, uh, in, in a lot of those cases, there's a certain, um, I think you've got a largely, uh, if not, um, I mean, a largely oppressed class, but that's not the word I'm looking for. Um, uh, a class of people who are, uh, I'm trying to think what the word is that I'm, uh, marginalized is what go. I'm trying to say. Uh, and Tyler Perry's movies and other movies like that sort of project an aspirational, uh, black America. And mm-hmm. I think that those very much serve their purpose, uh, and can be very helpful when they're good. I mean, there, uh, there used to be movies, uh, you know, uh, like, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of an example of movies that I used to see, uh, cause I used to watch, there was a whole strand of movies 
You know, the, I'm getting off topic, but there's a new movie called That Awkward Moment, which is terrible. Mm-hmm. But there's a running joke in it, um, or early at least in the first act, that none of the white characters know who Morris Chestnut is. <laughs> um, and it, it's it's funny because there is this whole, just like there are, as Michael Moore talks about, there are two Americas. In a lot of ways, there are, and there are more than two. But Michael Moore is talking about the difference. He's talking about the difference between white and black America, which is something that I'm talking about here when I talk about the butler. Uh, and there are white and black movie cultures. Um, and I think that getting taken over by people like Tyler Perry is not, um, is maybe the worst thing that could have happened, which leads me to a question, uh, but for there you. are movies and anyway, there are movies in the nineties and early two thousands that usually starred Morris chestnut that were good. That were into, like, there was, uh, the brothers, I think is what one, uh, not brothers. Cause that's the one with Jake Gyllenhaal is a remake of a, of a Danish movie, I think. Yeah. Um, but, the brothers there's, a, there's one called the wood the wood yes yeah. that's that's one um a thin line between love and hate yeah uh two can play that game yeah there were all these movies that i liked uh at the time that i feel like they don't make anymore um and hmm. i wonder if part of that is that tyler perryness has sort of taken over and that's the too often that's the only black movies that we get are tyler perry or Tyler Perry ripoffs. But let me ask you um, this regarding that idea and with the butler, sorry, Lee Daniels, the butler is that, cause I agree with you. It's, it's, it's interesting to see, uh, you know, American history, apparently the whole of American history, um, <laughs> through the, th- from a point of view, like we've seen movies about Nixon, we've seen movies about Reagan and Kennedy and, you know, um, I don't think. Oh no, Path to War. We've even seen one about Johnson, <laughs> and so like, uh, it was fine. Gambin plays him, and he's really he's actually pretty good. But um, I say actually as though it's a surprise. Michael Gambin's a good actor. So, um, but we, but so to see their story told from the point of view of someone that like most people or like a lot a lot of mainstream moviegoers aren't seeing like that's a good thing. I like that. But let me ask you this. Do you think maybe it's not doing – and, I, you know, now we're two white guys talking about the African-American film-going community. <laughs> but, um, but like, do you think it's a disservice to that, to that community that, like, this film that so adeptly tells this story from a point of view we're not seeing is also ridiculous and, no, and, and think... almost histrionic, which is – those are words that I use to describe the films of Lee Daniels, uh, though I liked Precious. And I don't think those are – like – We've talked on the show before. The word melodrama is not necessarily a bad thing. It is right. often used to dismiss movies, and I'm guilty of doing that. See my reaction to Short Term Twelve. Mm-hmm. But there's times that melodrama can be uh, uh, the right choice, mm-hmm. and I think that that's exactly what happens. What happened here? I don't want to spend too much longer, but the other, the one I, what I want to get back to my comparison to Forty Two, and that movies like Forty Two or like Glory say um they this doesn't necessarily make them bad movies though 42 is pretty much a bad movie uh there's always at least one if not more white character who either like gets it from the beginning is one of the good ones or comes to get it and become a good person what the butler shows in white characters such as uh the presidents especially um is that it's often it's not about them being like like there's some line between like being racist and not racist or being malicious or not uh it depicts them as just 
not getting it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, uh, the, 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 um, the Reagans are, I don't want to get too much into the specifics of what happens in the movie, but, uh, it really shows that with the, with the Reagans, um, uh, being in some ways very nice, but also in some ways maybe wanting to get some credit for being nice to, uh, the black staff in the, in the white house. Uh, and, and, and just, yeah, I, I keep saying just not getting it, you know? Um, so Lee Daniels film is kind of mean to the Reagans. No, what it's, are it's, the I, odds? I, if I've given that, uh, that impression, then I've done it wrong because it's not mean to any of the presidents. Okay. Even Nixon, uh, even Nixon. Wow. I would, I would say Nixon is a figure of pity maybe in the movie, but all right. I like that, but he is, uh, he was rather pitiful and he said, you know, some, uh, things that are, not that maybe are a little ignorant, but again, that's one thing that's amazing about the movie is that it's not out there to like paint either black America or white America with a broad brush, but mostly to highlight that our experiences of the same event are often quite different. I'd be interested to know like why, um, Ford and Carter are not involved. Cause I, cause they're it's not weird. in it, right? No. Yeah. It, I'd be fascinated to know what that, like what, like what would Carter, who is a very different type of president, like how would have played him? Who would have played him? <laughs> Let's see. Says, I don't know. James Earl Jones or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that would have been, that would have been fun to see who would have played Ford and Carter. They bring Chevy chase back in for Ford. <laughs> <That'd be good. laughs> just have him fall constantly. <laughs> oh, that'd be delightful. Okay. We do need to move on. Okay. Um, but no, you know what? That's the thing. Enough people that I trust liked the Butler that I do want to watch it at some point. I was so ready to write that movie off. Don't want Lee Daniels the Butler. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Um, I'm not talking about noted horror eighties horror film, the Butler. Um, I don't think that actually exists. No, the the reason it's called Lee Daniels the Butler is because of some silent film. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. Like who's, who's fighting that fight? Um, yeah, we have two movies named crash. I know within 10 years, by the way. So, um, so yeah, it's, uh, but that's the thing. The paper boy just, it got me so much like that movie is in many ways it's admirable. And in other ways it's horrendous. It's a horrendous experience to watch it. Did you ever see it? No, I really want to. I, I, because you might have the complete opposite reaction to me, but I guess we we felt kind of similar on Precious, so who knows? Yeah, I like but uh, okay, so yes, we do need to move on. And actually, uh, it occurs to me that I think one of these uh, is going to be an honorable mention, so that actually cuts it down even more. Okay. Uh, so I will go with a film that I didn't expect to like. It's about a year old now, um, and it is called Warm Bodies. Did you see it? No. Okay. But I know. As long as I'm throwing shade on movies that everyone else seems to like, Jonathan Levine previously made a movie called Fifty Fifty, which everyone loved. Mm-hmm. It was stupid and terrible and insulting. I hated that movie. Wow, it's all of those. Fifty Fifty is a bit, like, it's the guy who wrote it actually did have cancer, right? And so it's, I guess, ostensibly the story of a young guy getting cancer. But basically what it actually feels like is this wish fulfillment fantasy mm-hmm. of like a frustra- sexually frustrated nerd 
who decides, who realizes, oh man, if I had cancer, everyone would feel really sorry for me and everyone would be nice to me and like pretty girls would like me. Mm-hmm. That's what it feels like. It felt like a really juvenile movie that was rather insulting. But isn't that, a, isn't that kind of a... You're saying that it feels like the screenwriter has that opinion, yeah. not the character. Yeah, if it were the character, it would be an interesting character. It story. would be, very much so. But no, so. That, it feel, felt like the screenwriter's wish fulfillment oh. uh, fantasy. But I'm in the minority here. A lot of people like 50-50. But anyway, yeah. it, I was scared off of Warm Bodies because I didn't like Fifty Fifty so much. I yeah, and I didn't see it, but I did like Warm Bodies. I did not read the book that it was based on, but uh, on which it was based. Um, but uh, and the movie it has some, you know, some like uh, logical flaws. Is like, well, why is this happening? Why is that happening? But I think it's genuinely funny at times. I think it has some uh, really good zombie effects. And at this point, I think we've seen just about every possible zombie thing we've that that is that one can see right hmm. there's got to be i mean zombie we've seen pirates have we seen zombie pi- well yeah i guess the pirates of the Caribbean yeah there you go pirates. yeah what about zombie somali pirates oh man <laughs> <laughs> captain phillips is back <laughs> um <Kinda> dead <laughs> uh. so um but yeah, and so, and the one thing that we hadn't really seen was from the point of view of the zomb- of zombies. Now, obviously, uh, the nature of zombies as we know them is that they are brain dead and thus there is no higher function uh, going on. But, uh, so when this character is walking around narrating what his life is like, um, there's a certain degree of, I would say, suspension of disbelief, but uh, zombies don't actually exist, so they can be whatever you want them to be. Um, it's just like, come on, zombies aren't like that. Um, but it's... Uh, None of the zombies I know are like <laughs> Yeah, and just... Uh, but it's very it's very funny, and I think it's actually quite uh, insightful. Um, I think there are... Uh, there tends to be there needs there's some suspension of disbelief required when it comes to like uh, human responses to things, um, but it is and at times there's a this Romeo and Juliet thing that's a little too obvious, but by and large uh, it's this romance that happens uh, between this zombie and this uh, living girl that uh, as he lays eyes on her and like his instincts change and he starts to develop like an actual you know heart and sympathy for people and he doesn't want to eat them but what i like is that it doesn't necessarily give him a free pass because spoilers he meets her right after he kills and eats her boyfriend uh and one thing one thing that i do like that they add to the zombie lore is the reason that zombies so want brains is because uh, they are very, they're briefly able to experience the memories that the brains contain. And it's, so it's a little flash of humanity because they don't That's really, cool. they don't really remember much from their own lives. So they remember this. So as he eats this, this guy's brains, like he has this guy's memory of this girl that the zombies already kind of attracted to and the emotions that come with those memories. So he doesn't think he's that guy, but he now has a much deeper emotional connection to this girl that he already, that has already caught his eye. Um, so it, there's some interesting stuff going on in it and, uh, and I like, you know, uh, cynical asshole as I am, I do like movies about the trans, uh, transformational, uh, power of love. And, uh, and this is very much about that. And so it's a film that it's, it's worth the time and it's, uh, How's, it's, uh, Rob Corddry. Oh, he's delightful. He's a lot of fun. Big fan. Yeah. Big fan of that guy. Okay. Um, since you moved 
past one. Uh, I'll move past one too. Although I could kind of mention um, uh, Winter in the Blood, which was a movie uh, that was directed by. Oh, I'm forgetting their names. The brothers who made uh, the Slaughter Rule, um, and it was their first movie since the Slaughter Rule, which is about eleven years ago. Uh, and if you want to hear more about it, go back and listen to our um, Los Angeles Film Festival wrap up. Alex and Andrew Smith is their names, because uh, I saw it at the Los Angeles Film Festival, and it was um, sort of like uh, it's about it's a you know about a I don't know why I said you know you don't know. Uh, yeah, you're seen, telling me, David. Um, uh, it's about a Native American character, and it's very sort of. Uh, on the one hand, it's a sobering and realistic drama about uh, life on and around a reservation, but then it also has this sort of. I wouldn't go so far as to call it magical realism, but it has a sort of fable type quality, mm-hmm. and then it also has David Morse as a completely insane character who. Who may exist, who may not exist at all, or who may exist in a different way than we're actually seeing him because the character, the main character is so drunk all the time that the way that David Morse acts might not be how the character is actually acting, but just how we're perceiving it. Uh, But uh, Winner of the Blood is worth seeing. But I'm going to move on and talk about uh, another documentary. Um, I say another because I mentioned him as Ramir earlier. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's what I'm bouncing off of here uh, a documentary called these birds walk and it's only about 70 minutes long uh and it takes place in uh pakistan in a home for essentially i guess like runaway uh boys mm-hmm. um although i think there are girls too but that's uh, it's mostly about the boys and um uh it's yeah it takes place in in karachi and and it i don't i don't know if it's maybe a cultural thing where uh or maybe a class thing where these kids aren't the way that kids are now here Mm -hmm. you know used to cameras uh but it's on the one hand it's a very sad story because these kids are in this these awful situations where i mean they've generally left home because uh of they're coming from abusive homes or some other really horrible story like that uh and but as so as much as it like lives in these the movie takes place in these these slums and and at one point in sort of uh uh i guess an area is controlled by fundamentalists uh you know um it's also a movie that is as full of life as anything that i've seen in the movies ever Mm. because it's about these kids who as much as all this stuff is going on in their lives that's horrible they're kids and they can still set it aside and be kids Mm. they have these incredible seemingly uncrushable spirits and part of that is the tragedy of it you know they're going to grow up and they don't have a lot of uh hopes but you know they can just run around there's plenty of shots of just running and there's this one kid there's this one part where a kid tries to essentially get away from his the the, the people are going to have to take him back to his home mm. he doesn't want to go to his home he asks if he can stop at the mosque and pray on the way home and when he gets to the mosque 
he runs off and runs to this crowded market and the cameraman follows him. And it's like a chase sequence out of a Bourne movie, hmm. except it's like really happening in real time. And it's a documentary and it's all one shot and it's amazing. And it's so like gripping. Uh, and there's another part that I want to talk about that I think maybe it's sort of a more moralistic or, uh, I don't know, sort of, uh, pearl clutching or clucking type of person could, uh, look at this and say, uh, oh, you know, how, uh, how crass or uncivilized these young kids are. But I saw it as, uh, in, I guess my twisted worldview, I saw this as another, um, evident uh, ev- as more evidence of these kids sort of uh unsnuffable spirits there's one kid who's getting picked on and he's a smaller kid and there's a bunch of bigger older kids they've taken his uh one of his sandals and thrown it over the fence where he can't get it's out into the street but they're mm-hmm. they're not allowed to come and go as they please so the sandals out in the street doesn't have a sandal and he despite being the smaller kid surrounded by these other kids, he will not give up and is like trying to attack them and run at them and yell at them. And at one point the bigger kid has him in a headlock with his, the, his just, he's just burying the little kid's head like into his stomach. And all you can hear uh, is his muffled voice screaming. And instead of giving up, like the kid's going to like say, saying, uh, are you going to, are you going to stop or whatever? This little kid who's maybe like, 10 years old is screaming like fuck you your mother's pussy when i get out of here i'm gonna fuck your mother i'm gonna fuck your sister <laughs> <laughs> just screaming these things into this while he's getting beat up screaming it into this kid's like stomach and it's weirdly like heartwarming <laughs> uh it's an amazing movie and like i said it'd only take about 70 minutes of your time it's called these birds walk is it is it available uh uh on DVD or Blu-ray or watch instant or anything uh, like that? I don't know. I should probably know. I should have looked into that. Um, cause I have a screener cause I'm a, oh. I'm a big old fancy, uh, movie critic guy. But, um, uh, yeah, I'm not sure if it's, I'm, I'm looking right now on, on Amazon. Okay. Do you want me to uh, move on? Yeah, please move on. All right. Well, this next one is one that you've seen. Uh, do you have anything after this? Uh, yes, I do have one more that I want to talk about. Let's go with yours. Okay. And then we'll we'll end with mine, which happens to be one that you've seen and you like. So we'll we'll end with that. So you go you go next. Although I guess you're looking stuff up right now. Yeah. Um, good. It looks like it's available on DVD, but not for cheap. I don't know if it's an import. It's like thirty five bucks. Hmm. Uh, hopefully, it'll become more available. Keep that's a keep an eye out for it. Yeah. Type of one. Um, the other movie I want to talk about that I'm really bummed I'm not gonna doesn't get a place in my. Uh, top 10 or honorable mentions is uh another sebastian you mm-hmm. mentioned uh sebastian cordero's europa report this is sebastian lilio's gloria it's okay. a Ch- chilean film that i think um i was thinking about it while talking about uh uh the butler and i'm sorry lee daniels the butler and how odd it is just how underrepresented that point of view is mm-hmm. uh Gloria is a movie about a woman in her late 40s, early 50s, and it is the same thing. It's It really makes you reflect on how rarely you see honest depictions of that, you know? Well, no. I mean, I see movies with old women in it all the time. Like, So, you know, I feel like I, I see that plenty. Give me some examples of movies with old women. Well, like The Queen, 
<laughs> and like uh oh, so yeah. stuff like like old like like old women you know yeah like but just like regular people exactly like queen. yeah yeah or like that like the evil gypsy woman and uh drag me to hell like old women you know <laughs> yeah but you know what that you mentioned the evil gypsy woman usually and that's like usually when there's a woman over a certain age in a movie she's filling a certain archetype mm-hmm. um be it an evil gypsy or be it just the sort of out of touch mother the 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 you know the doting mother or you know mm-hmm. usually a mother of some sort or she's a character of pity maybe um if if she's uh an old maid or something uh but gloria is a, a woman. fate worse than death according to frank capra <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh gloria is a woman who is divorced and has two grown children and she also has a job and um some friends but she also like she's decided to get back into dating i guess that's sort of in as much as the movie has a story it's about her going to these sort of singles events for single people her age Mm -hmm. and then she has a relationship with uh, a man who also has two grown daughters uh, two grown children their daughters hers are a son and a daughter uh and it's still very much too much in his ex-wife's life Mm -hmm. uh and again, if I just tell you what the story of Gloria is, it sounds like it could be a shitty Nancy Myers movie, uh, you know? Well, you mean based on the description you just gave? Yeah. Because that sounds great to me. Okay. But the approach is uh, so all-encompassing. Oh, I was going to reference something we said on a different – we recorded a different thing tonight. And mm-hmm. I almost like referenced it as if it were a part of the episode. But that's for later. Yeah. Um, it um, – it doesn't just tell the story of a woman. It shows you the world from her point of view, mm-hmm. her world. Um, and it's also, a, a, you know, a, we don't get that many Chilean films uh, here. And so it's a vision of Chile that we're not really getting to see very yeah. often. Um, and in that way, this isn't really the point of the movie, but it's interesting that uh, to reflect on how there's a certain strain of the middle class that's, more similar than different wherever wherever you happen to be in the world mm-hmm. uh you know this uh I, I don't know if it takes place in santiago or or what but in chile her life is uh, other than the fact that they're speaking spanish is not that much different than um the kind of life you would see depicted not in nancy myers movie in nancy myers movies they're always like rich in some way mm-hmm. uh this is not a woman who you know owns a bakery whatever it was and is complicated or which i never saw did you see the uh, uh did you see the, uh, the av club thing yeah yes, like, i love that about jobs that people only have in romantic comedies like architect. it's so perfect because you yeah. don't think about it and then you read it you read that and you're like damn there are a lot of bakers aren't and, there like you're thinking of examples they didn't even mention <laughs> yeah exactly and, um but yeah she doesn't have a job like that we don't really know what her job is it's an office job yeah uh that is not shown as a pitiful thing like she's a wage slave or anything it's just the job she goes to every day it's a part of her life yeah uh and i I don't really want to get into too many specifics because getting in again getting into specifics will give you the wrong idea of the movie it it is an hour and 40 minutes or so uh inside the world of a person whose point of view is uh almost criminally underrepresented in cinema which is uh, a, I guess, postmenopausal woman uh, with a full life. Mm-hmm. It's just not, not something we see very often. 
uh, unfortunately. I forget, did you see... And the performance... You know, go ahead and ask me the question while I find out who plays Gloria. Did you see uh, Ali Fury, It's the Soul? I forget. I never did. I think you would like it, especially for this reason, because it's, you know, about two... You used the word marginalized earlier. It's about two marginalized people, in which case it's this older woman who's probably in her 60s, um, and then this... Uh, I forget exactly where he's from. He might be Egyptian, but... Um, but basically a, uh, a foreigner who's much younger and the two of them get romantically involved. And of course people are uh, not thrilled with that. Uh, but it's mostly from her perspective and it's just, it's very, uh, it's very, it's a very touching film. Uh, Paulina Garcia is the woman's name who plays Gloria and uh, she's fantastic. Yeah. So definitely check out Gloria again. I didn't do the research that you did about where it's available because I'm a dummy. Uh, I didn't do that research. I just happen to know things. Oh, okay. That's all. Um, but see, I get, to go to screenings and I get screeners and I have to worry myself with that kind of stuff. I don't have to worry about what's available on Netflix. <laughs> so high and mighty. Man, oh man. <laughs> so special now. <laughs> Indeed, yes. <laughs> yeah, nothing more special than going to a screening and being like, oh boy, I get to see this for free. There's something special about me. And then like some jackass is talking in the back and it's like, seriously, even here? And that's when you realize, like, oh, they kind of invite just anybody, don't they? So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. None of our listeners. But they invite us. So. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. And thus <laughs> that's we That's why you listen to us. Because we're <laughs> special enough to get to go to press screen. Yeah. You can live vicariously through <laughs> us if you like. Um, <laughs> oh, good God. Can you? Such low ambition, <laughs> vicarious living. Um, so. Okay, um, so my last one is a film that you and I have actually talked about uh, a fair amount. So I've seen this one. Very much so, yes. I, I've seen it a lot. Uh, I mean, when, no, I've seen it once, but I saw it like really hard. Y- you did. Okay. Uh, no question about it. Um, but uh, that's the thing. Uh, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of bummed out with my selection. As I was going through um, this year, a, a lot of the movies that I saw and liked are movies that are, f- that are relatively well known. Like maybe not a lot of our listeners saw Warm Bodies, but people know of it. Uh, same with Bling Ring. Europa Report's really the only one um, that uh, that I liked that people just didn't really hear much about. Um, and then the two, and then the two movies that I'm opting not to talk about because we'll be talking about them next week. Um, one of them, pe- no, nobody knows about at all. So I was really excited to talk about it, but stay tuned next week. Okay. So, uh, so I guess I'm just. I guess for me, it's like, hey, I'll recommend some movies that maybe you haven't seen, but you might, you probably know about. So this film is a horror movie that had a low budget and an even lower release. That's not true. Um, it made – did it make its money back? I forget. I don't know if it did. Yeah, it did not It did not do well. But, um, Which is unfortunate. But it was recently released on DVD and Blu-ray. And so there's no reason not to go and see Adam Wingard. Adam Wingard's You're Next. Yes. Which is a film that you and I have talked about a fair amount on here, and in fact, uh, while I was while I took my hiatus in April, you even had one of the actors on. That's right. Um, so Although I hadn't seen it at that point. Yeah, it's, yeah, we got to get him back on now. Yeah, he's a big famous guy now. AJ Bowen, thanks yeah. for being on the show, AJ. But yeah, he's uh, he's a big famous guy now. Oh, after you're next, <laughs> right? Yeah, came out. He, yeah, I can't get that guy on the phone. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, so I never had his phone number to begin with. <laughs> 
Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think so. It seemed that <laughs> that seemed suspicious what you just said. But um, yeah, so it's a film. I don't necessarily. I don't want to go into a, a whole lot of detail about it because uh, I feel like we've already talked about it a little bit. But it's one of those that, like, uh, I feel like as much as we've talked about it, apparently I have not done a good enough job selling it uh, to certain like friends of ours and stuff. And maybe people who just are like, ah, horror movies. And they see it, they see the masks, they see the home invasion thing. They, and they think, okay, I've already seen the strangers or I already saw the purge or whatever. Um, I've seen neither of those. Uh, but I did see Your next is better than the strangers and the purged combined and multiplied by a thousand. Okay. I did just see the trailer for, uh, the purge anarchy and, uh, that's a well done trailer. I haven't seen the trailer, but, Based on what I know about The Purge Anarchy, it's the movie I wanted to see while I was watching The Purge. Fair enough. So maybe I'll like it. That's exciting. Uh, no, uh, your next, it very much, it reminds me, and I know that, David, you're not going to be thrilled with this, it sort of reminds me of Cabin in the Woods to a certain extent. Uh, n- certainly it's not as heightened or stylized as that, and it, and the the idea behind it is not the same. The premise, but it's the, also a, the gimmick is not the same. Uh, you, you'll disagree with me, what I'm saying about Cabin in the Woods here. But your next is in no way condescending to its toward its genre or smug about its genre, uh, and I know you would disagree that Cabin in the Woods is. I but think I th- it is smug against the bad versions of its genre. Okay. Its genre. Uh, but your next isn't concerned with that sort of thing. It's, no, it's just a really good yarn, as it were. It is, and the reason that I that I mentioned Cabin in the Woods is that it. It takes something that at this point we're pretty familiar with, a, a subgenre that we're already pretty familiar with, and then it explores it in a way that doesn't feel familiar, that seems kind of fresh and new and full of life. Um, and it winds up being, as and you said, death. and yeah, there's one could say there's more death than life in the <laughs> film. Um, but uh, its characters, they're as fully realized as they can be uh, in something like this. But I feel like I know them fairly well. Um, that's and, a big part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Go ahead, sorry. And some of them are assholes and some of them are nice people. Uh, but you're kind of rooting for them, but, and it also shows some of the mechanism behind what is happening as opposed to just a bunch of shit happens, you know, um, it shows why, and it turns out to see, that's the thing. The idea of the the house or mansion under siege that's that's now but then there's also you know in in the history of film and in and literature and even tv to a certain extent and certainly theater so in the history of art the idea of a mansion or house under siege that's that's not new and you know 60 70 years ago that was what you would call a whodunit uh-huh. where rather than treat it like a horror, it's, it's, you know, and then there were none uh-huh. or uh, pardon me, 10 little Indians. And so this takes those two elements, like this subgenre, past and present takes them, puts them together. So there's a mystery element and like a, and like a, Oh, a surprise twist while also being genuinely scary and horrific. Uh, there it's, there are times when it doesn't make a lot of logical sense. What some of these, characters are doing um like for example the very nature of the title and how it plays into the film <laughs> makes no actual sense um but uh but it's so much fun and it's genuinely funny and I, there are times when i wish this was a video podcast because i would describe what it was like to look over at my wife 
who was sitting next to me. And David, I'll do it for you. Okay. And hopefully people can enjoy themselves through your reaction. Okay. Uh, she was going like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's, and it was just delightful. Um, and so what she was doing is she was pulling her forearms close. Yeah. And then trying to swat the movie away. Like it were yeah. a pesky or like, or like, fly. or like wave someone like, no, go over there. But she was doing, she wasn't being, verbal she right. was waving her arm like no just like she was waving them on through no yeah, keep yeah. going past the danger um so that was delightful and it's just that kind of movie it's just so much fun i feel like so much so many horror movies just take on and i'm not opposed to this there are plenty of movie horror movies that i like that are really really emotionally draining and depressing your next is not one of them it's fun it's, and as brutal as it is in terms of the people dying yeah it's not emotionally brutal even though right. it walks a line because you do get to know the characters and so mm-hmm. that makes their deaths real yeah but it isn't punishing it, you right. know it, it you Again, most of the people, almost everyone in the movie dies, but not everyone in the movie dies. I don't know. I guess that's a bit of a spoiler. Yeah. Um, but it, it does feel like instead of just watching people get picked off, you ha- you have a rooting interest. And even when the people you're rooting for get offed, mm-hmm. uh, it still had there's a there's a positivity to the fact that there are likable people in the movie. Yeah. Um, and uh, it is. The one thing I will give it in terms of, uh, I mentioned that it's not deconstructive like Cabin in the Woods, but it does pull a sort of bait and switch with who the main character is. Yeah. The way the movie is introduced, you think it's one person, um, and then it becomes another person who is, uh, and, and the way, I know so many people have seen it that I feel like I'm being stupid, like trying to avoid spoilers, but you know, a lot of people haven't seen it as mm-hmm. well. Um, the person who ends up being the lead of the film uh, is not necessarily the person you expect, and doesn't do the the things that you always expect that you would expect that person to do as the lead in a horror film. Yeah, and it's so, and that's the thing. I guess some, I don't know. Yeah, okay, never mind. It just this person winds up being much more capable than you would think for reasons that are silly. <laughs> um, yeah. but that's the thing is that i enjoy that there that's you know like like uh when you're talking about lee daniels the butler there are things about it that are ridiculous and silly but that doesn't preclude you from liking it and sometimes that actually makes you like it more yeah and everything in this movie that winds up subverting a movie subverting my expectations is not enough to get me to like it but it it's on the right track mm-hmm. and then when it when you when you genuinely have other characters acknowledge just how ridiculous it is that of all the things that could have happened it's this um that's funny as well and it also has maybe one of the funniest lines of the year for me uh, i laughed really really loud because and it's delivered beautifully and the line itself is not remarkably funny in itself it's oh, all okay. it's all context i think I know, which, is this a joe swanberg line it is a joe swanberg okay, line it's not the and one it's, i was thinking of okay it's uh i believe there's a character named felix is that correct that's right I'm okay uh the line is felix you fucking low life <laughs> now it's not delivered the way I just said it, yeah. and the context makes it well, so delightful. Yeah, the um, the performances across the board are great. I'm looking at the cast. We mentioned Joe Swanberg, AJ Bowen, who's on mm-hmm. the show, was great. Uh, Sharni Vinson, um, yeah, Nicholas Tucci plays Felix. Amy Simons is in it, who is fantastic in uh, Upstream Color. Uh, I want to mention uh, a character named Z, played by Wendy Glenn, who mm-hmm. 
uh, does a lot with very little dialogue early in the movie. With yeah. Just like lines, or just not lines, but just like reactions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she has, I will go ahead and spoil my favorite line. One of my favorite lines in any movie this year, which is, fuck me next to your dead mom. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, although I guess that does spoil that there is a dead mom in the film. <laughs> yeah, there's um, a lot of dead people in the film. Yeah, of <laughs> various, you know, brothers, sisters, <laughs> yeah, wives, husbands, they're all over. relations or... Yeah, really runs the gamut there. Yeah, but yeah it's, just, it's just a movie that I cannot emphasize enough. It is just a lot, it's a lot of fun. And let me ask you this. Okay, so... In our in our capacity as uh, trying desperately to be seen as serious film critics, uh, I feel like a lot of the movies that Don't I see. Let it out of the bag. Sorry. Oh no, we are. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> we go to film screenings. <laughs> yeah. We get screeners. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we're totes serious. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Um, we just start describing movies as uh, totes amaze balls. <laughs> I, I hate amaze balls. So I hate it oh, tremendously. I hate it? Um, anyway, uh, a, a listener on Twitter reminded me of that phrase, uh, and uh, thanks for that. So, um, well, after but I feel that like, awkward moment, how long until there's a movie called Totes Amaze Balls? Oh. <laughs> Probably by the same people. Yeah. No, it'll probably be a freaking Seltzer and Freeberg who do a That's parody hilarious. of. That awkward moment. Right. Called Totes and Balls. So anyway, um, but no, I, there are times when I feel like a lot of the movies that I see are, are great, genuinely great movies. Uh, and they are a good time in that they are intellectually stimulating. And this actually gets us to, a. a a whole episode topic that I would like to talk about in the future that we haven't, that really gets to kind of the core of why we like movies and that kind of thing. But that's for another time. Um, so I do enjoy these movies and I find them sometimes one could go so far as say they're life changing. But as far as like, I feel like it's pretty rare for me to have the common understanding of the phrase, a good time. Mm. I feel like it's rare for me to have a good time at the movies. And your next yeah, it was really a good is. time at the movies. Um, it really is. When I saw it at LA Film Festival, that's how Simon Bear, the writer, and Adam Wingard, the director, um, introduced it. They said that we wanted to make a horror movie that was fun again. Yeah. And I'd say for maybe, maybe even almost the first half of the movie, I was like, these guys think this is fun? Because it gets like pretty brutal when people yeah. are just getting killed early on. Yeah. Uh, and then it does take a turn, and it is... A blast. I know that's a term that I overuse, but it is a blast to the point where, like, I don't know if this was true at your screening because I was at a festival. It was a late night festival screening. Uh, people were cheering, like cheering in the theater. There are eight people in the theater <laughs> we saw it, where we saw. Uh, yeah, it. it was a packed theater at the LA Film Fest, and uh, yeah, people were literally cheering. Yeah. So, all right, I think that does it. Yes, a, um, you can cu- find a couple us- of announcements. Oh, go ahead. First off. Uh, within, okay. So the 22nd, I think is when I've decided to post it, provided everything works out exactly the way it's supposed to, uh, the BPs or the BPs Mm -hmm. ceremony, the awards ceremony will be posted February 22nd. I don't yet know what time of the day it will be, but we will post it. It is something that you will be able to listen to Saturday. That is a Saturday. Okay. Uh, it is something you'll be able to listen to. 
Uh, I'll post it on Facebook. It'll be in our feed. It'll be on the website. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's where you can hear the announcements uh, of, of who won as well as uh, discussions by our various uh, writers and podcasters and podcast guests about why what yeah. did you know why the winners won. Yeah, it is clearly obviously it's taken more work than the average episode. Yeah, so I don't want you to think just because it's not a numbered episode that you don't have to listen to it. You have to listen to it because it's going to be a blast yeah. to listen to. And we had we had as much as I said it's more work than the average episode. We had a lot of fun making it. I hope that fun translates because <laughs> I'm not sure if it will. But um, but yeah, it's uh, so look for that on the 22nd, and then also um, so I uh. By the time this goes up, you will be able to find this. I was a guest at the moment. Let's say guest. Uh, I, I'm going to be a, a recurring contributor to uh, a podcast and I guess you could say web series. It's hard to describe exactly what it is called Post Show Recaps. And it's uh, hosted by a guy named Rob Sesternino. And so you can go and see the video of me talking about RoboCop, the, the remake. Jose Padilla, Padilla. That sounds right. Yes. Um, so yeah, I saw that the other day. And so we talk, we're, we haven't done it yet, but at the time we'll, we will have talked for, uh, talked about it for about an hour. Okay. Did I like it? Did I not like it? Only one way to find out. Post show recaps. Well, since I'm not doing one of those, I'll tell people quickly what I thought very quickly, what I thought of RoboCop, uh, the RoboCop remake. It starts with a sort of gag on the MGM logo that is hilarious. Mm Mm-hmm. And then um, it's kind of downhill from there. <laughs> That's how I felt about the movie. So you can find us at battleshippretension.com. That's where you can find this podcast, all the other bot podcasts in the, in the BP fleet, and all the movie reviews that uh, we write. And, and uh, we have a new feature, a top 10 list from new contributor Kate Voss. I hope we get more from her. Uh, that'll be a, a, a fun thing. So you can look at a list of top 10 horror movies to watch on valentine's day or valentine's mm-hmm. day weekend since valentine's day has already happened by the time you're hearing this indeed um that's all at battleship you can email us david at battleship or tyler at battleship you can follow me david on twitter at the pretension follow tyler on twitter at more lessons that's the official twitter of his other podcast more than one lesson which you can find at more than one lesson.com you can find my other podcast the weekly tv show sorry tv podcast uh, hey, watch this with Paul and David. You can also find that at battleshippretension.com. This week, we'll be talking about ABC Family's Pretty Little Liars and Fox's Rake. Uh, so that's where you can find all our stuff. I feel like I'm missing something, but nope. Thanks for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.